And should we, um, should we pray as we come to read from God's word? Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are speaking to us this morning, Lord. We don't just gather to follow our own ideas and our own thoughts, but we long for you to direct us because you are King, you are Lord. And so we thank you for the way you've spoken to us already. And we pray that as we read from the Bible and as I preach, you would continue to speak to each of us, not only through my words, but through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord God. We want, you, we want to hear from you and we want to worship you and glorify you during this time. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question as I begin my sermon this morning. Who or what is your king? What rules in your life? Who or what is king in your life? Perhaps it feels at the moment as if money is your king and every decision you make seems to be driven by finances, either because you've got lots of it or you haven't got very much of it. Maybe money is your king. Perhaps your friends, your colleagues, your family are your king and actually you're a people pleaser and everything you do is to people please, serve others and make sure you look good in their eyes. Or maybe you would say this morning, I'm my own king. I'm the captain of my soul and my life. I do what I want. Who is your king? What rules in your heart and in your life? Now, whatever your answer to that question, let me ask you another question. Is your king good and is he or it powerful? Is your king good and powerful? I'll tell you the truth. We've had words about rest this morning. We've had words about freedom this morning. I think you can only enjoy true rest if you are if you are following a king who is powerful and who is good. If he's just powerful then you're not going to have much rest because he's going to slave drive you so you're not going to be able to rest. You need a good king but if he's not very powerful then then how can he truly grant you rest? We need kings who are good and powerful. The problem with money as a king is money isn't good. It's cold. It's hard. It it creates greed within our hearts. If, If money rules your life, money isn't good. The problem with being your own king is if you examine your life, you're probably not as powerful as you think you are. Actually, there's plenty of other things that are exerting control over what you do and how you live. You're actually not very powerful. And actually, if you're really honest with yourself, are you a good king? Do you make good decisions if you're your own king? Or actually, are you selfish and you make decisions purely for yourself? We need kings who are good and powerful. And I I speak for myself. I want to serve a king who is powerful, not just in this life, but into eternity. And I want to serve a king who is good. Good not only to me, but good to others, who leads me in, in doing good for the, to the people around me. And so this morning, I want to invite us to come and see Jesus as the true King, good and powerful. May each of us receive him as King this morning and be able to say, he's my King. He's not just the King, he's my King. And so we're picking up our Matthew sermon series together. Um, You might remember if you've been part of the church for a while that we preached through a large portion of Matthew's gospel. And today we're picking it up again in Matthew chapter 21. And I'm going to read Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11. And the verses should 
um, appear on the screen behind me. So if you've got a Bible, open it, but if not, don't worry, the words will be behind me. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, then brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds went before him and that and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I want to set the scene for you in those verses that I've just read to you. In Matthew 20, verse 29, it says, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed Jesus. So Jesus is approaching Jerusalem with a great crowd around him. People from Galilee, from Judea, from Jericho have seen Jesus do amazing miracles. They've seen him heal the blind. They've seen him driving demon, demons out. And alongside those miracles, they've heard Jesus do some amazing teaching. And so these crowds have gathered up from all over Israel and they're following Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem. And it says in John's gospel, actually, that some people in Jerusalem had heard that Jesus had raised a man called Lazarus from the dead. So some people coming with Jesus from Galilee and, and Jericho and other people are coming out of Jerusalem saying this is a guy who's raised someone from the dead so the crowds are coming out of Jerusalem and the, and the crowds are following with Jesus into Jerusalem there's this huge crowd as Jesus approaches the city of Israel they're not just coming because they're following Jesus, but they're also coming to celebrate the Passover feast where the Jews all gathered together in one place. And they're coming with Jesus. These people are coming with Jesus in particular because they believe that he is the Messiah. They believe that he is the king who will reign over Israel. In fact, he won't just reign over Israel, but he will reign over all the world forever and ever. Imagine this great crowd who, who, who see Jesus and think of him so highly in Matthew chapter 21. That's what's going on as he enters in this extraordinary way. And the first thing I want us to see in this passage is this. Jesus is your king. Jesus is your king. I wonder whether you remember, it feels, it is a really long time ago now, probably a couple of years ago, <laughs> where we, we pre I preached from Matthew chapter 8. Um, but maybe you remember Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus heals a leper. He touches a leper and he heals this leper. And he says to the leper, as this, this man goes away healed, his life transformed, he says to the leper, don't tell anyone about me. 
It's not my time. It's not my moment. So, so rejoice that you've received this amazing miracle and put your faith in me. But it's not the time to go on, go around shouting about who I am. It wasn't right in that moment in Matthew 8 to proclaim the power, love and kingship of Jesus. There was a time approaching when the glory of Jesus would truly be seen. But it wasn't Matthew 8. But it is Matthew chapter 21. Now is the moment when the crowds are gathering and Jesus deliberately and emphatically declares himself to be king. He's the one who says to the two disciples, you go and get the donkey and the colt. You go. This is a moment. This is this is the moment of my arrival in the city of Jerusalem. And I want there to be crowds and, I, and, I, and, and this to be the, the declarations of who I am. In verses one and two, if you see in in the passage, Jesus orchestrates this event. He says to the two disciples, you go and fetch the donkey. And the reason he sent them to do that is to fulfill a prophecy in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. It's quoted there in Matthew chapter 21. Say to the daughter of Zion. Now, the daughter of Zion was a a phrase referring to Jerusalem. So there's something that needs to be proclaimed to Jerusalem in this moment. And I think I think Jerusalem is called a daughter of Zion. It's called a daughter as a reminder that God is father. Isn't that glorious, wonderful truth that we believe as Christians that God is our father? And so there's something to be proclaimed to Jerusalem. There's something to be proclaimed to the daughter of Zion. And what's the message? That must be spoken. What must be said? Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Not just a king, but your king. And I think that's an important distinction. As Christians, we don't just say Jesus is the king of the world, but I can say Jesus is my king. And we can say he is our king. And that's altogether more personal, isn't it? Jesus isn't some far away king who doesn't care about you. No, he's my king. He's our king. He cares about you and you can have a personal relationship with him. And it's also more significant to say Jesus is my king. Jesus is our king. That's my question to you. Is Jesus your king? Can you say Jesus is my king? You know, I don't think Perhaps I should, but I don't think I'd ever describe Charles III as my king. He's the king of England. Maybe I should say this, but I don't think I've ever used those words. I don't think I've ever said Charles III is my king. And I think the reason is I don't use those words is because I don't have any relationship with Charles III. Um, we've never met, surprisingly. He hasn't sought me out to um, build a friendship with me yet. Um, but I'm looking forward to that moment. But I don't, I, I don't say of him that he is my king. And... Uh, wow, this is this might be dodgy to say. I don't I don't think there's any real submission in me to Charles the Third. He's not a, he's not a, he doesn't have much power, does he? It's not like Charles the Third comes out and says, "This is Duncan is what you must do." And I go, "Okay, Charles, yeah, whatever you say." No, I don't, so there's no real relationship between me and Charles the Third. There's no real submission between me and Charles the Third. And if there's any royalists in the room who are upset with me, you can seek me out over coffee and have a conversation. But with Jesus, there is. There's a personal relationship. There's real submission in my life and hopefully your life as well, because Jesus is my king and I hope he is your king as well. 
So Jesus comes in and he says, this is in fulfillment of this prophecy from Zechariah. And the whole procession is reminiscent of a war hero returning to the city with adulation of the crowds. This is what would happen in the Roman Empire is a war hero would return and the crowds would praise him in his glorious victory that he had won. Except there's one very, very crucial difference is that the war hero would return on a big white stallion. But Jesus has decided to ride a donkey in this moment as he comes into the city. I'm going to talk more about that later, so I'll just leave you hanging with that thing. Why has Jesus not chosen a big white stallion to come in in this moment? The crowd lay their cloaks on the ground as recognition of Jesus as king. That's what they do in verse 8. They lay their cloaks on the ground. Did you know that in 2 Kings chapter 9, the army of Israel were told that Jehu had been appointed king of Israel? And what do the army do in that moment? They take off their garments and they lay their garments on the ground for Jehu to walk over as he comes down the steps. So this was an Israelite way of recognising the king. And so in, in this triumphal entry they're saying Jesus is our king we're going to lay our cloaks on the ground and some people cut down palm leaves and lay them on the ground maybe they didn't have a cloak to take off their back they take and that's why we call this this day sometimes palm sunday because they laid palm leaves on the ground as Jesus enters in the, on this donkey and what do the people shout in verse 9 in this moment hosanna to the son of david hosanna to the son of David. The word Hosanna literally means save us please or save us now. But here the word Hosanna is used as a cry of worship, a declaration of praise. It's as if the people are shouting, salvation has come in the person who enters into Jerusalem. Hosanna, praise, worship, glory to this one who is sat on the donkey. And they say Hosanna to the son of David. Praise be to the son of David. And when they call him son of David, that's a really, really significant title. Because David was the greatest king in Israelite history. And there was a promise given to David that he would have a descendant. He would have a son who would come, who would reign forever. It's the messianic promise given to King David. And so when these people are shouting Hosanna to the son of David, they're not saying, oh, here's a kind of mediocre king or an uninteresting king. Or, or No, they're saying Hosanna to the son of David, the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy, the king who will reign forever and ever. These crowds are shouting this as he enters into this place son of David king messiah eternal ruler is what the crowd shouts as Jesus enters into Jerusalem now I'm not sure whether the crowd fully understood all that they were proclaiming in fact the phrase that they're shouting is taken from Psalm 118 Hosanna is in Psalm 118 verse 25 and then in Psalm 118 verse 26 it says blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and that's precisely what they're shouting aren't they Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord so they're quoting Psalm 118 but do you know what's really interesting about Psalm 118 in Matthew 21 they're shouting Hosanna to the son of David In Psalm 118, they're crying Hosanna to Yahweh, to the Lord. 
So I don't know whether the crowd had really picked up on what they, what they were fully doing here, but actually they're saying, Hosanna to the Messiah, Hosanna to God, as he enters into Jerusalem. And that is precisely who we believe Jesus is and was in this moment. He's the king who reigns forever. He's God in human flesh coming into the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is received by this crowd as king, but also as God. And that's why it's appropriate to shout Hosanna in the highest, the highest praise, the highest adoration to this man who's coming in on a donkey. Perhaps they did realise that that's what they were shouting, because it's only appropriate to give your greatest worship to God himself, isn't it? So to shout Hosanna in the highest surely was an appropriate phrase for them to shout. So Jesus declares himself as king by fulfilling this prophecy and getting this donkey. He's also received as king by the crowds. And so let me ask you again, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus the one whom you worship and praise? Can you see yourself amongst these crowds of people shouting Hosanna to Jesus? Praise be to this great eternal king. Praise be to God. Is Jesus the one you praise and adore? Is Jesus the one you obey? Jesus is king not just in name, but he's king as in a ruler and a lord. And so if you accept Jesus as king, you're saying, I'm, I want to obey his instructions in my life. And is Jesus your king in that you submit to him? You look to him for leadership in your life. When you don't know which way to go, what decision to make, where are you turning to? Are you turning to Jesus as king or are you turning in another direction? I wonder whether you've ever had a time of quiet in your life where you've knelt or sat or stood before God and you've simply said this by yourself, Jesus, you are my king. Show me where to go. Show me what to do. I will do it. I will submit. I wonder whether you've ever done that. I think that's a really healthy thing to do sometimes in our life, to, to take ourselves away and just say, Jesus, you are my king. Here I am. What would you have me do? I'm one of your servants. I'm one of your knights. I'll, I'll go whatever direction you tell me to go. And if you've never done that before, can I encourage you to do that today? In your hearts now as you're listening to this, but also find time this afternoon. Just go away by yourself and say, Jesus, you are my king and I want to follow you. Would you show me what to do? Maybe there's someone here this morning or a few people here this morning who really are facing a choice in their life. They really are lacking direction in life and they don't know which way to turn. Can I strongly encourage you to do the same? Lord, this decision I just want to lay at your feet. I just want to give to you. You're my king. Would you show me the direction to go? And sometimes when we do that, God speaks clearly and, and directs us. And sometimes he doesn't speak that clearly. And those are those moments where actually you say, OK, you're giving me freedom to make my own decision. To Give me wisdom, Lord, to make the right decision if he doesn't speak clearly. Or can I also suggest to you that this is the way you open your Bibles? When you read the word, even when you come on a Sunday and the word is read, do you come as though Jesus is your king and he is speaking in this book? Lord, I'm just going to read your word this morning. I'm just going to read your word this afternoon. I'm just going to read your word this evening. You're my king, so I'm going to hear your word 
and I will submit to your word. I wonder if that's your heart attitude, that Jesus is king when you come and read the word. I think obedience is actually, submission to Jesus and obedience is actually a really key application from Matthew chapter 21. Did you notice in verses 10 to 11, the crowds in Jerusalem ask, who is this guy? Uh, They haven't quite got it from the shouts that have been going on. Behold your king, Hosanna. They haven't got it. Uh, Isn't the answer quite interesting? They've been shouting about Jesus as king. But in in verses 10 and 11, they say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's a, weird, that's a weird answer, isn't it? Surely the, I, the answer I was expecting is, this is Jesus, he's the Messiah. This is Jesus, he's the son of David. This is Jesus, he's the king come in fulfilment of Zechariah chapter 9. But they say he's the prophet from Nazareth. Is it that the crowd is backtracking already? They've shouted about him and now they're backtracking. Well, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we hear a promise. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, this is what is said. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. It's Moses speaking. The Lord God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses was this great prophet who did amazing things in the history of Israel and the people followed him out of slavery and Egypt into the wilderness and then Moses, Moses, the guy who took over from Moses, Joshua leads them into the promised land. So Moses was a significant prophet but there's this promise in Deuteronomy that a more significant prophet will, be, will arise from the people of Israel. And I think this crowd who've been shouting about Jesus being king now understand that Jesus is not only king, not only the Messiah, he's also the prophet to whom the Israelites are called to listen. Are you someone who listens to Jesus as your king? Is Jesus your king? Because that's how he's announced in Matthew chapter 21. But from Matthew 21, we can't, we don't just say Jesus is our king, Jesus is the king. But we also see something really, really important. We see what kind of king he is. You know, if I just said, Jesus is your king and sat down, you know, that would be an okay sermon. It would be an all right sermon. You know, maybe a five out of ten sermon. But Matthew 21 says so much more about who this king Jesus is. And so my second point this morning is Jesus is our humble and our righteous king. The prophecy in Zechariah in verse 5, speaks about what kind of king Jesus is today and what kind of king he was in that moment as he enters into Jerusalem. But Matthew only quotes a little portion from Zechariah. So I want to read to you um, from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. So the whole prophecy, or at least these two verses that speak specifically about the king who will come to Jerusalem. So I'm going to read to you Zechariah chapter 9, Verses 9 to 10. Thanks, Gareth. This is what was prophesied. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In those words, we don't just hear that Jesus is king. We find out what kind of king he is. Let's start with verse 10. Jesus is an infinitely powerful king. Did you see that promise in verse 10? The war horses and chariots that have surrounded Jerusalem, great empires that have threatened to invade Israel and will conquer Jerusalem in the history of the nation of Israel. What does Zechariah prophesy? They're going to be cut off. These war horses will be cut off. These chariots will go. These battle bows will no longer surround your city. This is how powerful the king who is coming is. These, these other nations who seem mighty will be defeated, will go by King Jesus. But not just that. Peace will be spoken. In the absence of war, this king will speak. Speak peace, not just to Israel, but to the nations. He comes and says an end to conflict and a peace. Do you know when Jesus returns, you know, when we take communion, we remember, we look forward that Jesus is returning. And when he does return, he will reign upon all the earth and complete peace will be realised forever and ever and ever. There will be an end to war. There will be an end to sickness and disease and we will live in perfect joy and peace forever and ever. You will be part of that if you trust Jesus as your king today. And notice those words in verse 10. Jesus will rule from the river to the ends of the earth, from sea to sea, wherever there is land. And in heaven, it says in Revelation, there will be no sea. I don't know whether that is just a, is a physical prophecy or just a reference to the fact that Jesus will reign over the whole earth because from sea to sea, he reigns. Wherever there is land, Jesus will reign and there will be peace forever and ever. So what is prophesied about Christ is that he will enjoy an eternal reign over all the earth. When Jesus rides in on a donkey, what are we supposed to say? Oh, here's some noddy king. He's only got a donkey. He doesn't even have a white stallion or a war horse. No, we're to say this is the king from Zechariah chapter 9 who's going to reign to the ends of the earth. Jesus is a powerful king, an infinitely powerful king. Do you know whatever else you could choose as your king in life? whether you choose money or whether you choose foreign gods, other gods from other religions, or whether you choose yourself, one day one king will reign upon the earth, Jesus Christ. And therefore you either submit to him and join in his kingdom or your king is conquered. I would urge every one of you, choose now to be a part of the victorious kingdom, to be a part of the eternal kingdom, the unending kingdom that will be over all the earth. Choose to follow Christ, the victorious, infinitely powerful king. So Jesus is the king who reigns eternally. He's the one who will reign over all the earth. But not only that, in verse 9, he's also the righteous king. He's right in all that he does. 
Every action that Jesus takes is righteous. It's the right thing. He's blameless in all his ways. He's sinless in all that he does. He's completely innocent. He's good and he's just. His judgments are fair. He's committed no offence in his existence on the earth and in his reign in heaven. He keeps his promises. All his ways are good. The king described in Zechariah is the righteous king and Jesus is the righteous king. You know, in this country and around the world, we have leaders who are unrighteous, who are not blameless, who have faults and make mistakes, sometimes deliberately and sometimes mistakenly make wrong decisions. And that's why it's a joy not to call them my king, but to call Jesus my king, because he is blameless, righteous, perfect in all that he does. He's all powerful and he's completely and utterly good. It's so joyful to call him my king and to submit and obey him because he's good. When he gives me a command, when he gives us a command, it's a good command to obey because of who he is. It's always a righteous command. And not only in verse nine is he righteous, he's also the one who has salvation. Salvation is with him. Salvation belongs to Jesus Christ. You know, all of us need saving. All of us at one time were in that hole in the ground that Hugh described and needed to be lifted up into freedom. All of us at one time were chained and bound and trapped. We all needed saving. We needed saving from sin, from the crimes we had committed against God. We need saving from pride and selfishness and all the ways we've fallen short of true kindness, which God calls us to. We needed saving from death. We all shall die, but the promise to Christians is that you shall be raised and live eternally with Christ, with God upon the earth. We needed saving from God's righteous judgment against our lack of righteousness. If, if the king is righteous, it means he will punish evil. He will do what is right to those who have done wrong. And so we desperately needed saving. All of us needed saving. Salvation belongs only to the king from Zechariah 9. Salvation belongs only to King Jesus. If you're not a Christian, well done for being here. You're so welcome. And it was a brave move. You're so welcome. We love having you. But you need to hear this. You need to hear this. You cannot and will not save yourself by your trying harder or doing good works. Money will not save you. It's not like you can get to the gates of heaven and say, hey, I've got a billion pounds in my bank account. I'll give you half of it. Let me in. That's not going to work. The gods of other religions will not save you. Meditation will not save you. Popularity amongst your peers and work colleagues will not save you. Only Jesus can save you because he is the king to whom salvation belongs. And so if you have any king other than Jesus, then you are in trouble. But if you turn, as Fumi called us, turn and trust in God, trust in Jesus, then he will share salvation with you because he's a righteous king and a king of love. But he is the only one. He is the one to whom salvation belongs. This is the Easter story that we love to proclaim in this church, that Jesus Christ showed his righteousness and showed his love and won salvation for all who would trust in him by dying on the cross. He took away your sin and your wrongdoing and he carried those things 
upon the cross. He's not, he's not the king who doesn't care about you. He's the king who cares so much about you that he died for you on the cross in order to win your salvation because he's the king to whom salvation belongs. The king who's welcomed with praise in Matthew 21 will in less than a week's time die by crucifixion. But he will also rise again in glory and power and defeat death. This is how he saves you from death because he's the king who's defeated death. So he saves you from sin. He saves you from death. And so all who trust in Christ are forgiven for the things they've done wrong. Born again in the power of the Holy Spirit. Reconciled to God as Father. We can pray to God as our Father and we are given the gift of eternal life in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ our King. So Jesus is the King who has salvation. But here's where I want to finish my sermon this morning. Jesus is the King who will reign over all the ends of the earth. He's the King of righteousness He's the king of salvation, but he's also the king who is humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey, the text says, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus does this because he wants to say, I am a humble, humble king. A king who shows his humility time and time again in the story of the Bible. We see Jesus' humility when he comes to earth. He lays aside his heavenly glory with the Father in eternity and he takes on human flesh. The one through whom everything was created enters into creation in, in the Christmas story, in the incarnation when Jesus is born in human flesh. Such humility to leave glory to come and rescue us. Jesus shows his humility in his obedience to the Father. Do you know, on earth, Jesus is constantly saying, I just look and see what my father is doing, and then I go with that. I get involved in what he's doing. He's constantly saying, I obey my father's commands. He doesn't need to say that, does he? He he could just go, I'm the king. I do what I like. I'm awesome. But actually, he says, my father is directing me. He shows his humility and submission to the father when he walks on earth. And, you know, he shows his humility even to the point of death. This is how humble he is. Despite his infinite power, despite his infinite righteousness and glory, he says, I will die for the people whom I love. He shows his humility in his death upon the cross. He was pleased to lay down his life in humble service to those who he loved, which if you're a Christian, is you and me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus served us, the king who is awesome and infinitely powerful and righteous, he served us in his death upon the cross. Jesus says this about himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is a humble, humble king. He is the king who serves. And that's why he rides on a donkey rather than a white stallion. The king who comes in Matthew 21 comes to serve to humbly die for the salvation of his people. Jesus' humility is crucial in his salvation because he dies in his humility. But it's also a quality that we ought to emulate as Christians. I wonder whether you describe yourself as a humble person. I do pray for myself and for the church that he would break pride in me and in us, that he would forbid boasting, that we would only boast in Christ. 
and that he would make us humble servants. I love this church. I really, really do. I love you guys. Um, But I want to see what we look like in five years' time as God keeps humbling us and creating in us that humble service to God and also to one another, where we're all serving like Jesus as we grow in humility because of how God just answered the prayer that I just said. It's a dangerous prayer to pray that God would humble us. But that's, that is my prayer because I know we're growing in the Holy Spirit. We're growing in humility. And the church will be, be even more wonderful as we all grow in humble service to one another. We ask for God's mercy and help in growing in humility. So brothers and sisters, Let us humbly respond this morning by receiving Jesus as King. Let's praise him. Hosanna to the son of David. Let's obey him when he gives us instruction. Let's submit to him. Let's create space for him to speak to us and direct our steps. And as we receive him as King, the infinitely powerful King, it is our joy to receive him as King because he is good. He is righteous, he has salvation, and he is humble. Oh, what a saviour and what a king we have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us to finish. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are king. You are the king and you reign from sea to sea to the ends of all the earth. And one day your reign will be realised in totality and completely here on earth as you come to dwell on the earth. We will see the kingdom of peace and righteousness forever and ever on the earth. So we say, Jesus, you are our king. And now we pray that each of us in our hearts would receive you as our king, as my king. Lord, we want to personally respond to who you are. We want to praise you and worship you with our whole hearts. We want to obey you when you instruct us. We want to submit to you as leader. Lord, I pray you would humble us. Jesus has shown us humility in such a wonderful way. We pray we would be humble in submitting to you as our king. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, come and reign in this place. Come and reign in our church. Come and reign in our hearts. As we glorify you, we shout Hosanna to the son of David, the saviour who comes as king to humbly die for us, that we might be forgiven. And Lord, I want to pray in particular, if there's anyone here or anyone watching online who has never received you as king, Lord, just open their hearts to know that you are the king. Would you grant them the gift of faith? Would they repent and turn? Would they they climb out of the pit into freedom? Would they be released from chains that have held them back into freedom, Lord God? Would they find rest with God, confidence in the quiet place by receiving you, Lord Jesus, as king in their hearts? Thank you for these words. I pray it wouldn't just be here that we worship you as king. It would be outside in the world, amongst friends, family, neighbour and in our homes, Lord. We want to receive you, submit to you, obey you and love you with all that we are because you are our king. We praise you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.